When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind a Raw with Waiting and me. Yes. What's going on, John? How you doing? Uh, not much. No, you're not doing much. Nothing. I don't have anything to share. I think we should just uh, dive right into everything. Anything you want to share off the bat? No, not a whole lot. It's a brand new month. It's the second month of the brand new year. Does it feel like it's 2021 yet? Sure. Yeah. Feels like 2021. It's been a very definable year. What a month we just got through of January. Now we're going to do another one. 11 yep. more to go. Yes, 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 that's right. That's how is, that is how the months work. 12 of them. What are you going to remember from January? Oh, boy. Uh, a whole lot, actually. Um, where would you like to begin? Is this um, a review of the month? No, it's it's definitely not the review of the month. 31 memorable days. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. Well, the first of the month way. That means it's a it's a brand new start. Everyone is jumping on the craze that is the post wrestling cafe. I think we're gonna spend a couple of minutes here just going over what is ahead this month. Uh mainly, I think the biggest thing to come out of the month of January is the fact that we go live three times a week minimum. Yeah, at the very least, uh, especially, uh, well, every Friday we go live for all of our patrons for Rewind to SmackDown. That's always a big party. Uh, not only do you get access to the show itself if you're a patron, but you can also join us live right after SmackDown. When we allow a lot of phone calls, it's usually a great deal of fun. But if you choose to upgrade your pledge to a double, double tier, we are now doing live broadcasts of Rewind to Raw and Rewind Dynamite every Monday and Wednesday. So, uh, a, a big addition, I would say, to to our access, and uh, you can join us right after those shows every single week. But if you're just a, a you know a patron of our six dollar tier, you have access to Rewind Away coming out tomorrow. We've got a show about New Japan Pro Wrestling's G1 Climax 25 from 2015. This was a really interesting time to go back and revisit because so many of these guys have done so much since. Um, you know, least of which, like, rattle off some names there, John, that's on this card. We're going to talk about, of course, the main event, the finals, the last singles match between Hiroshi Tanahashi and Shinsuke Nakamura. Kushida versus Ricochet. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out uh, how, how Ricochet was doing back in 2015. A bit of a, a different uh, demeanor to him. Uh, the, young dra- the Young Bucks taking on Red Dragon, which to me was like the hot tag match of the, that period. Uh, they were wrestling each other all over from New Japan and Ring of Honor. And we'll be talking about the whole card from Sumo Hall, August of 2015. And we're going to be joined briefly by WH Park. He's going to share some of his thoughts on that card from five and a half years ago. Yeah, Mr. Cruel somewhere himself. WH Park will be joining us to talk. Uh, he'll be doing the trivia gauntlet. And also on this card, of course, a very young Jay White. Maybe even a, a very young Grand Metalik on this show making an appearance. Yes. A big draw. So that is uh, what you have to look forward to uh, this Tuesday. And then for the rest of the month, our uh, our Tuesday bonus shows will include another Rewind Away going back to NXT TakeOver 
our evolution, which was the debut of one Kevin Owens back in December 2014. This was one of the very early TakeOver specials. We've also got Rocky Balboa and the monthly Ask Away among the bonus shows that will be dropping on Tuesdays this month. And also our New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, bonus shows continue for our double do- or our, our, all of our pa- post-wrestling patrons with a new beginning a review coming out on February the 11th. Uh, in addition to that, some of our weekend programming uh, will be back next this Sat Sunday for the season finale of Total, Re- Total Bellas with Total Recall and catch up on the rest of WandaVision with episodes every single Sunday with me and WH Park. I believe if this is a nine episode series, the season finale actually falls within the month of February. So your pledge this month gets you access to all of the rest of the reviews, including the season finale that's probably set to debut in February 28th. So you can just sneak that right in there at the end of the month. Can I just say this, this has to be the hottest podcast that we have on our network. I was catching up on one division over the weekend. And then I listened to you two and dude, it's like, I'm going to equate this to my grade 11 English class. And one of the books we were assigned was catcher in the rye. And I enjoyed catcher in the rye, but then I had my teacher, Mr. Will. And each day we would go through a new chapter and he would explain all of the symbolism. I was like, there was a whole like different level to this book than what I just read at face value. I was going in deep into all of these meticulous layers of what all of this meant, all of what Holden Caulfield was going through. And that's what listening to Rewind Division is like, that all of a sudden I'm hearing about uh, Agatha, Agnes, mm-hmm. all of this. I mean, dude, wow. I think you could just throw out any any two – uh, a first name and a last name to WH Park, and he'll have their social insurance number and every particular comic integration they have ever had. It is unbelievable the knowledge level uh, that you two bring on this show. It, it blows oh, the, my mind. The man is a is a, an encyclopedia, not just of wrestling knowledge, as people will, will will have heard. He's an encyclopedia of pop culture knowledge. And if you think you've heard WH speak on wrestling, um, I would say with a certain level of um, I don't know. I think uh, cynicism at times. Um, no, <laughs> yeah, I would. I would kind of contend that he's almost like a, almost the opposite when he's speaking of like comic books and 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 all these other things. He's like he is just a, a very different person. Um, my favorite I, game. My favorite game that you do is WH. Were you a fan of Blank Way? I was a fan of this, and then the whole background of. Bewitched. <laughs> we we don't plan anything. I, I, oh, I had no idea amazing. he had this sort of background, but like the he man really has watched did. every sitcom ever made from the fifties on. Oh, which he's is perfect a, for this show. He's absolutely a joy to talk to, and this is a great show to like be able to kind of like rip apart and dissect because it is made for that reason. It is a horror mystery, so to be able to kind of go through every single frame and talking about every single detail and all the little Easter eggs has for for me like been a lot of fun. So uh, that's every Sunday. Rewind Division will culminate uh, at the end of this month. So postwrestlingcafe.com for all that and access to the live edition of the wellness policy in the middle of the month too. 
Yes, and we have the whole schedule for this week up on the site at postwrestling.com. Uh, two of the highlights, just to throw out uh, a few, actually. Andrew Thompson, he'll have an interview with Brody King. That's going to be up on Tuesday. Brandon Thurston is going to be back on Friday, second week in a row with Brandon Thurston, because WWE has their earnings call on Thursday evening, going over their fourth quarter and year-end results. So, as usual, we'll have Brandon on the next day to go through the call and all of the financials. And Saturday, the long and winding road is going to be winding up in front of one of the pillars. Toshiaki Kawada is going to be profiled on Saturday's show. And I understand that WH Park enlisted uh, Dylan Fox of the Eastern Lariat podcast. And this thing is something like three hours of going through the career of Toshiaki Kawada. Oh, wow. Well, that's that's one I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to. He is... Uh... Yeah, one of the most respected wrestlers, I would say, of uh, any generation. So I I look forward to hearing even more from WH this week. It's WH Park Week here at Post Wrestling. He's he's slowly taking over. He is, uh, you know, he's he's got his plan. He's getting into all 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 assets, all facets of the post wrestling world. So there you go. Check that stuff out at postwrestling.com. We appreciate uh, anybody contributing to the Post Wrestling Cafe and uh, keeping everything going. But we have a lot of news to get into, so uh, we will uh, go through some of uh, this to catch everybody up on. First of all, was uh, earlier today, uh, this was like 85 stories ago today, Way Jay White appeared at Core q and Hall. This was after the six-man tag where Kazuchika Okada, Tomohiro Ishii, and Toru Yano defeated Evil Yujiro and Dick Togo, and Jay White made his presence uh, felt by attacking Ishii, laying him out with the Blade Runner, and they have since announced that he will be wrestling in just a couple of hours at the next core Q and hall show. It was to be headlined by a 10 man elimination match. And Jay white has replaced Dick Togo in that match. Uh, so Tuesday morning, it will be Jay white's first match since the Kota Ibushi match back at wrestle kingdom. But uh, I think there, there was like some of those posters out in the, in the Tokyo market advertising him for the anniversary card. I think most were expecting him back and, he he came back on the show unannounced and obviously is there in New Japan. Seemed like the break was really, you know, maybe just that, just a bit of a break, you know, perhaps a return home. Uh, didn't even go for away for more than a month. So uh, hopefully he's refreshed. I mean, I think certainly I, I'm happy to see him stick around in New Japan Pro Wrestling. I don't think that was, to me, honestly, ever in doubt. It, it just did not make any sense. And then you had the... The story that had been reported that back when AEW was starting, you know, he had conveyed he had signed a seven-year deal and, you know, it's – he has also been booked like someone who is – who has signed a very long-term deal as well. I mm-hmm. think that that would – like he is someone – and with all of that momentum uh, coming off of Wrestle Kingdom, I, I think that it's going to be a big year for Jay White in New Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on, WWE has announced the signing of uh, Christine Lubrano, who will be their new senior vice president of creative writing. Uh, she spent 18 years at the IFC network, and uh, this is from the WWE press release. In her new role, Lubrano will be charged with developing and leading a team of writers for WWE's weekly flagship programs, Raw and SmackDown. She will oversee long-term planning for the creative writing team and manage its operations in collaboration with executive director Bruce Pritchard. So they are bringing in someone with extensive experience that uh, started at IFC and then moved 
significantly up the ladder until leaving uh, two years ago from IFC. But this seems like a you know a, a significant hire just in the actual structural process of the entire writing division. So uh, you know you over <laughs> you go over a term like that uh, long term planning, and I think that there are many people part of the writing staff um, that that's music to their ears. Uh, Unfortunately, does that music always make its way to one person's set of ears that can be prone to uh, tearing stuff up and long-term planning is quickly thrown out the window? We shall see. To your knowledge, is this a new position? Um, It sounded like it. She's not coming in and replacing somebody. So Mm -hmm. it seems like it's a role that they have created where it seems like she will be working – you know, it says that she will be reporting to Brad Bloom, who is their EVP of operations, but working – beside Bruce Pritchard. So this doesn't sound like she is beneath um, Pritchard in the pecking order. It seems like they are almost 1A, 1B in terms of the the creative structure of the company. So that, that will be an interesting dynamic as well. It's like a non-wrestling person that's very much here because of her ability to structure programs and clearly plan out long-term ideas, which this company, there are there have been great difficulties with. Well, if it is a new position, I mean, it certainly does seem to indicate that they are very aware that there are problems with their writing, uh, perhaps, you know, with with the long form storytelling that that's existed in this company thus far. Um, I feel like, you know, there's going to be people that might look at um, news like this, maybe somewhat negatively to see that there are more perhaps non-wrestling people coming in to take advantage or or take over these storytelling things. But we've yet to kind of be really be aware of how much she'll be involved with, with the actual um, maybe wrestling side of things, as opposed to perhaps just simply an organizational uh, type of role, trying to manage all the various storylines that are out there. Uh, When does she start? Do you know? I I think it's uh, like immediately, like it's as of January, she'll be working out of, out of Stanford. So I think that this is, this is immediate. So, yeah, we'll see, we'll I, see it, what sort the, of effect. Yeah, the, the wrestling background to me, that that does not concern me. I think we, we've seen plenty of people come into this system that have had history working in various, you know, programming on soap operas that actually can bring a very coherent structure to the place. But again, like this always, we look at these positions and it ultimately is what is the Vince McMahon factor. And that is like nobody is unseating that position. So it's always... You're still in Vince McMahon's world, and unless he is willing to step away from that aspect of the company, I obviously the the proof is in the pudding, and this has always been the, the structure that's in place. So uh, I think it's a positive hire. It's someone that clearly has two decades of experience developing shows and and on critically acclaimed shows too. Um, worked on Portlandia way. I know. Yeah, I read that. Um, uh, a show that's very different in tone from WWE. Well, maybe they'll bring some of that tone to it. I could see a riddle, you know, being a part of that cast. Um, it was definitely a riddle watching his uh, handling tonight. That will come in our raw review. John Cena is indicating that way it is mathematically impossible to appear mm-hmm. at WrestleMania this year. Uh, he is. He spoke to Justin Barrasso at SI.com, and when the topic of WrestleMania brought up was brought up, he said, "Currently, I'm in Vancouver shooting Peacemaker." 
the series for HBO Max. Given the quarantine regulations, if I were to leave Canada upon return, I would have to quarantine for another two weeks, which is accurate. Essentially, that would shut production down strictly based on the letter of the law right now. There is no logistical way I can be there. We film now until July. It's very difficult to say because I know it's going to be disappointing for a lot of people. But according to the letter of regulation right now, there is no mathematical way I can be at WrestleMania this year. Well, with wrestling, of course, you take everything with a grain of salt. Um, But, you know, if it's true that production does extend to that month, I think he would be telling the truth. I mean, Uh, this filming like legitimately started January 15th. They've got I think it's an eight or nine episode season like this all like like this all checks out Um, to say in this this current structure that you could not film something in Vancouver. um, I never I never completely throw things out, especially when it's Cena that I think always does like to do his little surprises and stuff. I will never say 100% it's out there, uh, but I mean, the, the, the idea this, of a conventional match in the arena in right. Florida, right. that might not be happening. If we're yeah. talking a cinematic match or some sort of special guest appearance, of course. any, any There's always possible. ways to have an appearance. But yeah, physically in the stadium, it does sound like that is very unlikely uh, to, to do. Unless like quarantine stri- restrictions got uh, eased off by April and he could get... Uh, a weekend off or something like that. But if I if I am uh, James Gunn and John Cena wants to go and wrestle a match, no way. When we're when we've got all this uh, filming in place, there's no way I would want you going and doing anything that could possibly affect this uh, the the shooting schedule. Mm-hmm. So if in fact he is not there, this would be the first mania um, that he would miss since 2003 when he first uh, the rap battle with uh, the fake Fabulous. Yeah, I guess he's done something for every single one of them. He's I mean, I, every year. I do feel like he should have he'll probably have some sort of role. It's two nights. I'm sure they could find some some room for him to to do something pre-recorded. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, SmackDown for the second week in a row top 2.3 million viewers. They finished just over that with 2,304,000, a 0.62 in the demo. So, among network shows on Friday, they were number 1 with uh, adults 18 to 49 and 18 to 34. So it was, you know, a, a a good number again for uh, SmackDown. Not at their demo level of two weeks back, but I do think the overall viewership trends the last two weeks. I think that that is definitely the peaking this Reigns Owens program that the shows have been built around, and I think that's like a good feather, especially in Owens' cap, to have that program that has seen a, a an uptick in SmackDown viewership. The Canadian number was also up big this week uh, with 241,800 viewers uh, going against a Raptors-Sacramento game that was the most watched sports program in the country. So, yeah, uh, like SmackDown seems to be in a, in a good groove and I think it will continue. They're, they're teasing Edge and Bianca Belair being on this week's show and that should have... Some some interest level. I think everyone's going to be very curious by this raw number, and will that extend to SmackDown coming out of the Rumble? Most weeks, it's a pretty you know decent watch. So I'm I'm happy to see a good story reflected in good ratings. Uh, not exactly a wrestling story, but I did just want to get some of uh, your thoughts, as I'm sure you were a follower of the show, and that was uh, the passing of Dustin Diamond on Monday. He was only 44. Uh, he had recently announced that he had cancer. And had been hospitalized last month in Florida. Um, man, it's crazy that he was only 44 years old. When you think about that show, like he was on like the the uh, 
like prior to Saved by the Bell, he was on Good Morning, Miss Bliss. And that was like 1989. That's hmm. crazy when you wow. think of how young he was playing that Screech character. But there were the, the reason I bring this up is like he did a lot of wrestling stuff over his career, like different appearances, whether they be in the crowd when they were in Southern California for WWE shows, he would be showing on camera. He did a NWA TNA show in their early days and Actually did uh, several appearances up here in Toronto. He did one. I went to this show. It was in 2003 that I believe the Megan brothers promoted. And he was just doing like a signing there. And I remember actually talking to him at this show. And then a decade later, they did another show. And I think I went to the show with you. And again, I ended up like chatting with him um, in in the back area. Uh, I think he, he he actually did a match at the second one. This was around... 2011, but he did Hulk Hogan's Celebrity Championship Wrestling. He did an angle in Memphis in 2000. Seemed to like have you know a, a, a strong following of pro wrestling, and then getting involved off of his celebrity as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's really unfortunate news, you know. Um, uh, like many people our age, uh, Saved by the Bell was like uh, you know um, a constant, I think, in our upbringings and our childhoods. And to kind of have um, somebody who was such a big part of it no longer be on this planet is is certainly sad. I didn't even know he had cancer. Uh, reading the story, I've, I've come to realize he he was only diagnosed in January. It was, re- it was just recent. Yeah, it was like Mario Lopez had posted a thing about it, yeah just a couple of weeks ago when it was um, revealed publicly. Uh, so um, it's very unfortunate. Like he had, you know, he he put out like a book that really upset. Uh, many of the principal cast members of, of Saved by the Bell and had not been included in a lot of these reunions when they did the Jimmy Fallon show uh, deal a number of years back, uh, the recent reboot. Uh, he hadn't been involved in any of that. So, um, But it seemed like Mario Lopez was the closest to him of those uh, ca- cast members. It's just a very sad story. And 44, that's that's so young when you think about the fact that he he was done playing that Screech character by by 2000. Like that's that's crazy. He was still playing it in two thousand because that, like he the, did. The new he class? did not. He, yeah, he not only did the college years, but then he did the new class. And the new class, you would think, like the number of seasons the new class went for is insane. Like I didn't pay attention to the new class, but like he was there for a like he was the constant throughout all the iterations of of Saved by the Bell. That's a pretty good run. I have to say, like over a decade playing that. Right, it is, but character. it's it's probably like when you start playing that character so young and that is what that that probably also pigeonholed him as well, being so associated with it, with that character. It, it definitely had. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, rest in peace to uh, Dustin Diamond. Um, just before we wrap up here, did you see any of this uh, Yokozuna documentary that WWE released on the, the icon special? I've, yes. I've I've only seen the first half hour, but I want to know uh, just some of your thoughts on it. Uh, I watched it. It's excellent. I mean, it's it's kind of weird. Like we're talking about this right after the the Screech Dustin Diamond thing, because like to me, another you know constant in my childhood at that age was uh, wrestling, and especially the new generation era of the WWE and Yokozuna. You know, with WrestleMania nine being my first WrestleMania, like he is somebody who has a big role in kind of my fandom of professional wrestling. He was one of my champions along with Brett of this particular era. So I was really curious to watch this one and it was really well done. It's a full hour 
of, uh, you know, to, to my knowledge, the only biography that really documentary that exists about this man uh, and features pretty much like several principal characters that you would expect from his life. Of course, everybody from the I know I family. Roman has, you know, a big role in this one talking about him. Uh, you know, you have people from his uh, generation. You have Taker, you have Brett, you have Nash there talking, you have Savio Vega, uh, the various kind of, you know, Godfather, BSK, right? Um, Vince. And it goes to- Vince is in it. Vince as well, yes. And, you know, talking about really um, his his rise from, I think, being trained to, like, his debut and uh, how he was supposed to be a head shrinker originally until... His foot got infected and wasn't able to make it, and that's how kind of Rikishi came in. Which I don't think that was a very widely known story, that he was originally in the Fatu role with uh, Samu. And and it was something that worked out for everybody, because he ended up getting, I mean, really, uh, the gimmick of a lifetime. Looking back at the gimmick, certainly would be maybe a bit problematic today. You know, to kind of debut, like, Polynesian man, like, trying to pass as as a Japanese person. Oh, dude, the Um, head shrinkers. I mean. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Like, they were eating raw fish. Like, and Reigns even said, like, he actually looked at the Yokozuna character as, like, yeah, finally, we're not being portrayed as, like, the savage Samoan, which was kind of the the go-to character for so many of them. Uh, he actually saw it as, like, a positive seeing Yokozuna. I I loved the Yokozuna character as a kid. Like, he was just a character that I, I really got into. Like, two, two of my favorites when I was a kid were Yokozuna and Bam Bam Bigelow. Like, they were just I, – I was just mesmerized by the size and how agile this guy was, which – if you only saw him later in his career, it was he had put on so much weight. But 93, 94, like it was like this guy could do some amazing things given his size. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so they tell that story. And of course, you know, they t- like my favorite part. I don't know if you got into this part yet, but was uh, oh, obviously there's, there's, like, there's the one part. I- <laughs> the okay. culmination of his rise to WrestleMania at nine and main eventing that show and then uh, winning it. And to me, like one of the best <laughs> clips is like. Hulk Hogan and his first of all, Brett talking about it is great because I feel like you and I have spoken to Brett about this, like when we were doing our documentary and yep. Brett, Brett is not really shy about talking about like Yoko getting gassed. But when you hear him, he, portray- he told me this exact story about Yokozuna and it was painful for him to recount it to me about how he had to edit out the second half of the match. Be, or at least it was because Yokozuna wanted to go home so early. And he just told me he was he told me at the time when I interviewed him that, you know, that 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 ending that I had planned or at least that body of the match that will be gone to history. It will never be seen. Like he felt like it was like he had this masterpiece laid out because that would have been Brett laying that entire thing out. And it was like this artist that his painting was, was burned to ashes and he lost so that, it. So that sounds very accurate. I have to say like in this documentary, hearing Brett talk about it, it, it was like, he definitely was spitting it a bit nicer because this was a Yokozuna documentary. And it was more like, you know, to the effect of like, Oh, I don't know what happened. Maybe he got gassed or something, but he uh, he edited <laughs> it out. And uh, but like the bigger story coming out of it all was like, of course, you know, Hulk Hogan's involvement. And to hear Roman Reigns kind of like tee up the Hulk Hogan involvement as probably a young kid seeing, you know, a relative, you know, representing the family, really like the you know one of the first heads of the table, um, <laughs> having his moment kind of like taken away by Hulk Hogan. Uh, that to me was really interesting. Having Hulk basically kind of admit to it, you know, take taking the the blame i suppose for creating the idea of winning the belt off of him at, at wrestlemania 
all of that stuff was like really interesting material for for me to see you know get be navigated because it's to me an era that really doesn't get you know that much coverage outside you know, like if we're not talking about the monday night wars or like these are kind of topics that kind of get lost so i was really happy to see it and of course they talk about his kind of um you know continued weight gain and, and untimely death um so i re- really recommend it just going back to, to the whole title change, because I have seen up to that point, and there is one part of it that is just – it's just a hilarious story. And it's Bruce Pritchard is interviewed, and I don't know if he just doesn't – didn't have the, the recollection for it or w- whatever it was. But his – he was you know taking the company side of like why they put the title onto Hogan. And he acknowledges that you know if we had a do-over and they kind of like cut on him as he's like pondering this uh if if it was the right call or not. But he said one of the like the reason we did it was we had an international tour coming up. We knew Hogan would be leaving and we thought that this tour this will be treated as Hogan's farewell tour and it was the better idea to put the title on him. Okay, that sounds fine on the surface. There was an international tour. Hulk Hogan was not on this international tour. Yokozuna worked this tour, the first half working Jim Duggan every night, and then the rest of the tour working The Undertaker. Then Pritchard says, I'm sure Yokozuna didn't mind because he was going all over the world working with Hogan. They never had a singles match with one another at in any market on any live event until the King of the Ring where Hogan dropped the title to him. So that part of it... Like that, that to me is where the producers need to, I, I think, like call them on this, like actually look this up. Like n- none of that happened with Hogan going on this mysterious world tour. And I am hmm. sure I am a hundred percent positive that Brett would have brought this up in his interview that they didn't include because it's in his book is that in May, like he was under the impression that Hogan was going to get the title and then Hogan was going to drop the belt to Brett and Brett maintains that they did a photo shoot together. This was in mid-May where they're doing a tug of war with the title. And the thought was that Brett, this would be a promotional poster likely for SummerSlam. And it was this big rift between Hogan and Brett when Brett found out that Hogan was not going to lose to him and instead lost to Yokozuna. And they eventually, I guess, buried the hatchet in WCW. But that part wasn't explored either. Like, it's a really fascinating topic when you look at it. Like, this this change in direction, like, going... Like, Brett had been told initially, like, you are going to have a very long reign with this title. And then, all of a sudden, it's, hey, you're dropping it to Yoko, who's flipping it to Hogan. But don't worry, you'll get it back. And it was, you know, that whole year, it was, they went with, with Yoko. But the idea was, like, ho- you will get to beat Hogan and and be the guy going forward. Wow, that's a really interesting background. Um, so yeah, I can't wait for you to watch the rest of it. Maybe give me some of your thoughts, but it's a recommended viewing for sure. And the last thing here for, for Wednesday, we've got a beach break with, uh, Kenny Omega and the good brothers against Moxley, Phoenix and pack the wedding between Penelope and Kip, the tag team battle Royal for the shot at the young bucks at revolution or the bucks can pick their opponents. Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker and a lumberjack match between Eddie Kingston and Lance Archer. NXT has, Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher against Adam Cole and Strong in the Dusty Classic. Uh, Legado del Fantasma, Joaquin Wilde and Raul Mendoza against the Lucha, the Lucha House Party in the Dusty Classic, uh, who were primed for this tournament match on tonight's Raw. 
Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez against Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter and Santos Escobar versus Kurt Stallion for the cruiserweight title. So it actually looks like some very good um, matches on on NXT in particular on on Wednesday. And I think that main event with Omega and the Good Brothers against Moxley, Phoenix and Pac, uh, that should be excellent as well. Yeah, it's usually quality on those nights. So I'm looking forward to both of those shows. Uh, before we get into our Raw review, at the end of the show, we are going to get to your Royal Rumble pool results so we can find out who won, and we uh, we look forward to seeing especially the misspellings of the year, as compiled by Chris Engler. The highlight of the year, the misspellings in the Rumble pool, and you can find out if you were the winner of this year's pool. But Raw started off with Drew McIntyre who reminded us where they have positioned the WrestleMania sign in the arena this year. And he said that he and Goldberg earned each other's respect. He thanked Bill. And then he goes into recapping the Rumble show match by match. I was trying to take our job here. He put over Bianca Belair as the future and gave a ringing endorsement of Bianca Belair. And as he gets to his recap of the men's Rumble, Edge comes out. And Drew calls him a mentor. I was there when you retired. And seeing you return last year, I was in the ring. And I was so happy and proud of you last night. Edge says, I really like you, Drew. But what's wrong with you? I won and I can challenge you. I'm a viable threat. I walked into this ring and you didn't kick my head off. And Drew acknowledged, I'm not an opportunist like you. So Seamus comes out. And he says that Drew carried this company through uncharted waters, which is their their uh, wording for a pandemic. And said, Edge, you were at home hurt. And Edge is not going to make his decision yet. And you will know when I make my decision. And I'm leaving WrestleMania as a champion. So Edge leaves. And then Drew turns around and gets hit by his best friend of nearly 20 years. Sheamus hits him with the brogue kick. Nothing like a slow build towards this. This just, uh, man, we were just making up for lost time over this last month, I guess. Just going right to the turn. Well, I mean, it has been in the making for months. I mean, it, it wasn't sort of like, you know, the the crack and perhaps like the, you know, the armor and then leading to like an ultimate collapse type of story uh, breakup. I, I would say this... To me, I was satisfied with it because I think everybody going into this knew what the ending was going to be. Um, I feel like in the months that they've had, they've done a decent job of establishing their relationship together. I don't think they've convinced me that these two are best friends. They've tried really hard. Yeah, they we see them joking around all the time. They're talking about like, you know, Seamus is sending crates of like swords and kilt and all that. Um, but I would say they've done a decent job of, I think, delaying it, get, letting it kind of marinate long enough to to do a, a turn like this. And I, I really feel like I wonder how much like the shuffling of, of like, um, you know, this match might have how, how how shuffling maybe the Goldberg match might have affected this. When oh, I'm this sure program... it did. I'm sure it did. Like the fact that we know that this Goldberg thing came together so quick. I think Sheamus was absolutely collateral damage and he was. I mean, he wasn't even involved with Drew throughout the build-up to that Goldberg program. Like, they they just put that on ice. So mm-hmm. I think that they just I, – I just thought this was, like, too out of the blue um, because they had been building it for, for a while. And it wasn't just, well, we're suddenly friends and I'm going to turn on you in three weeks. Like, I think they really tried to build this up. And then I think the Goldberg thing was put into their lap and this 
this program was kind of forgotten about. And timing wise, I think they want to do this match in February and not and then get on to promoting Drew's Mania match. So this is what you've got. You've got a three week build to do this at Elimination Chamber, which is when I assume they're doing it. That's two more Raws, which is not a lot at all. So I can see understand why they would um, rush it. Personally, it's like we know that this is the program anyway. I, I I'm satisfied with it. It's you know it, it it did feel earned for me. Like by this point, I thought like Drew came out said it really good um and i don't know if it was intentional but like the tease with edge i feel like they kind of started talking and they they kind of got going but they didn't really go far enough to really make me want to see the match i thought edge coming out and like you know his conviction was really good in him saying how whoever he chooses he will leave mania with the belt um but he didn't really get into it long enough with drew to make you really want to see that match. So I wonder if that's intentional. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear more from Edge on SmackDown. Yeah, and and we should make mention, I mean, Dave Meltzer reported this uh, today, the fact that Edge and Reigns does appear to be the plan as of now um, for for Mania. And if that ends up being the match, it seems wide open for for Drew, like where that challenger uh, comes out of. Like that will obviously be... Like that seems like an open open slot. Mm-hmm. Backstage, Seamus is telling Charlie he's tired of being Drew's best friend. Drew is no longer his friend. He wants the WWE title. And then Drew Gulak has got his bags for him. So it looks like Drew Gulak has a brand new character. He's the bag carrier. He's got for Seamus. He's got a new Drew. Oh it's my gosh, Drew I didn't even Yeah. The new Drew. All right, well. God, maybe yeah, that was that was maybe really Carrie's gonna come back. Yeah, it was really weird. He's just all of a sudden like Seamus's young boy. Um, <laughs> okay, sure. All right, I I know that you love this. I I look forward to any Riddle segments now, just for way. Bobby Lashley and Riddle. This was Riddle earned. He went through the whole gauntlet last week to get this United States title match. He finally gets the opportunity a whole seven days later. Lashley attacks Riddle after he charges at him. There's a head scissors that sends Lashley to the floor, floating bro, and then Riddle gets caught in the hurt lock on the apron. Lashley won't let go at the count of five, so he's disqualified. After he's disqualified, they still make sure to to mention that Riddle has tapped out to the maneuver. Riddle then gets the Hurt Lock reapplied on him on the floor. He's throwing down. MVP warns Lashley, don't kill him. And Lashley is getting annoyed at MVP. So he applies it again and throws Riddle over the barricade. As they say, Lashley has snapped. So <laughs> I-, I love the uh, the dichotomy of uh, Riddle on Sunday and Riddle on Monday. They just made this guy look like nothing. I think I would be upset. But, you know, seeing the intensity that this brought out in Lashley here, I thought Riddle was worth the sacrifice. Like, Lashley is getting really hot. They seem to be, to be positioning him for a major top-level role. And I can't really say that Riddle is anywhere close to being able to achieve that same status. So I was more than it, fine it, with this. If they're building Lashley for Drew McIntyre, I'm all for this. But I don't know who they've been building Lashley up for months for. I mean, if it's Drew, then yes, you're right. Riddle should be... Could be can be sacrificed because you are building up a main event for WrestleMania. But beyond that, 
I don't know who the baby face is that you're building this guy up for because there is no one at Drew's level on this show. There were some teases towards the end of the show of like, what is it? MVP was insulting Bad Bunny. And I don't know if that was just sort of an ad lib on his part or if he was trying to like set something up with Damian Priest. It's possible that you could do Priest versus Lashley. Bad Bunny has arrived for his second night of, uh, of duty here at Raw. Randy Orton is in the back. He addresses Edge. And he said that Edge would never return. And you've made me look like a liar after everything I've done for you. How dare you come back and, and recuperate? He goes over all of his attacks. He says, I loved you like a brother. I sent you home to be a husband and a father. You are not going to headline WrestleMania. And with that, a graphic appears. Edge versus Randy Orton tonight. I was um, definitely surprised. Like, I wasn't sure if this would be for the um, Elimination Chamber or maybe even the pay-per-view afterwards. I mean, I think people were afraid that it would be um, WrestleMania earlier, but I I don't, you know, it wasn't going to be that. But I never thought it would be tonight. So clearly they have other plans for both men um, in the weeks ahead and felt like this was, you know, a good enough time to blow off. But And this, was, and this little... was literally like they could not have been more clear that this was the blow off by the end of it. Yeah. This, I, this was, I they're personally going their separate like, ways. I personally felt like there was way, you know, a lot more left in the promotion of at least one more big match. At least give them a week or maybe two weeks. But, two hours. Um, two hours. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it does. Maybe Edge has come back and part of his uh, thought process is, okay, guys, everything I do, we're going to promote on several hours notice. That's it. I don't want any promotion for anything I do. Um, That's a weird thing to specify, but okay. So, and l- listen, to their credit, they, they did push this very hard throughout the episode. So this will be, this will be a third hour that, you know, you would expect this to be. Like that, that Drew title win over Randy a couple of months ago, you would hope that it's at least at that level. Like this, this is huge with Edge. This is his first match on Raw since uh, 2011. You're talking about 10 years since he's wrestled on TV. Yeah. Kofi oh, Kingston. No, no Christian today. There was no Christian tonight. There was no Rhea Ripley tonight. So mm-hmm. I would, I would imagine Rhea Ripley. They did not promote her for SmackDown, but I, w- I would imagine that's that's where you're going to speculate she would be popping up on. Yeah, which Kofi- would be great. I'm sure she's happy about that because she's far away from Alexa Bliss. But, man, if you were watching that Alexa Bliss-Nikki Cross match, I mean, do you think there'd be some FOMO? Yeah, I don't know. Don't think so. Kofi's back. He's with Xavier. Xavier explains he's in a best of five with Retribution. He's down 2-1, but he's about to tie it up. So Xavier Woods versus Mustafa Ali and Ali had a promo from earlier in the day where he's screaming in the wind while retribution is in this balcony. This was like right out of Batman. Ali yells that Kofi has taken everything away from him as he beats down Woods. Uh, There's a tilt a whirl into a side Russian leg sweep and then inside out Lariat when T-Bar just comes into the ring, breaks up the cover. The referee just kind of looks at him and just red shoes it. And Kofi then leaps off of T-Bar's shoulder from the steps, which looked very unsupportive to jump off a man's shoulder. Just one shoulder. 
uh, Kofi nearly spilled as he took out Slapjack on the floor. And then Woods countered a roll-up with a crucifix and pinned Ali to tie the series at 2-2. And Mia Yim was already with the tweets here. Best of five. That means we got to get Woods in Reckoning, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. He's faced everyone else. <laughs> yeah, um... I mean, the story ultimately is that now Kofi is back. I suppose Retribution can't beat Woods anymore. But, man, if Woods and Kofi... Uh, or if Kofi and Ali is still the match at the end, I I don't know why they would do something like this. Other than to perhaps delay this for a few more weeks, maybe get them in a few more tags, uh, and then have maybe Retribution do a big attack angle on Woods so that you can really heat Kofi up for revenge. But, um... To me, like that is still the ultimate destination at the end of this, and I think Ali still should be kept pretty strong. And so I don't know if I would have done this. He is far from strong, but um, well, that's that looks to be the new day's uh, priorities for now. Is with retribution. Bad Bunny is hanging out with his new best friend Damian Priest. I actually did like how they paired. I actually liked a lot the handling of Damian Priest tonight. Like they really tried to set him apart as the new star on Raw from the endorsement from Edge backstage and pairing him with Bad Bunny here. It just seemed like Priest, he certainly came off as a significant priority on the Raw brand. I don't know if you could have asked for a better like debut for Damian Priest. Yeah, he could have come out here and had like maybe some, I don't know, incredible like five-star match, but I don't think that would have meant as much to a typical Raw fan as being paired with a mainstream star. It was the non-wrestling stuff that I think was the difference. Um, yeah, no one's going to accuse this match of being a, a classic, but uh, we had Miz TV as they brought out Bad Bunny, who they were praising as the highlight of the Royal Rumble. And then Miz addresses Mr. Bunny and wants to bury the hatchet. He apologizes, but Bad Bunny has nothing to apologize about, which would be, I mean, you broke my DJ equipment. You lose your spots in the Rumble. That seems like a fair trade-off. He acknowledges he wants to be a WWE star, and Miz mentions how he's brought talent up, such as Daniel Bryan, to become main eventers. We can teach you to be a star if you can teach us how to record an album. And they do some awful, some good awful singing, I thought. And then Bunny is not interested. Miz gets upset, explains they are not Shakira or J-Lo, and says that uh, Bunny says a good friend of his wanted to be on Miz TV. So Damien Priest comes out and attacks them to go to break. I thought like, um, like him or not, like, you know, Miz is very popular and I think he's very good in these celebrity roles. I thought he was a really good guy here to pair, not just bad bunny, but priest with. And um, I thought they were pretty funny here. I think we're going to get a Miz and Morrison rap video. Uh, another one? Yeah, absolutely. I thought Morrison was actually hilarious speaking his, like, you know, whatever limited Spanish he could speak. I had no idea what he was saying, but I'm sure he, I'm sure he was very funny. SmackDown promo ran, uh, indicating Bianca and Edge will be on the show Friday night. So Miz and Damian Priest, uh, Priest did a step over somersault dive onto both on the floor. And then Miz got the heat throwing Priest's shoulder into the post. So that, that's how you get, uh, uh, indoctrinated onto the main roster. You get your shoulder sent into the post and then you're, you're part of the fraternity at that time. Miz is arguing with bunny and then gets drilled in the gut. He's hit with the broken arrow. Morrison gets on the apron, allowing Miz to capitalize. And then 
He goes for the briefcase, and Bad Bunny takes the briefcase away. Morrison wants it handed over, so he gives it to him, but then takes out his microphone and blasts Morrison with it. And Damian Priest hits his finisher, identified as The Reckoning, which Mia Yim did tweet. She was happy to see it has kept its name at 4 minutes and 26 seconds. Yeah, I got to keep the name. I think if you're Damian Priest, you know, honestly, this this was really, really good for you. Like, it makes, makes him immediately a notable face to the public and indicates that they are very serious about him. They didn't take his name. They didn't change his look. They gave him a big-time celebrity and a, you know, big win, I would say, against somebody who, yeah, The Miz is a bit of a joke, understand, but, like, he's still um, a relatively high-ranking character that uh, has his own TV show that a lot of people recognize, so... I thought this was a really great debut for him. Of course, the only you know terrible thing about the, this whole scenario is the fact that Miz has the Money in the Bank briefcase. Um, what if he loses and, it to Priest? I uh, don't see that happening. I mean, another match for the for the briefcase right now. So close. I I, I think it just it, it's an indication that they've really given up on the Money in the Bank concept this year because it's really been reduced to little more than just a, a weapon at this point for Miz. It's a reminder, though, this segment that Miz is like a like a really good mid card comedy guy, but I think a pretty poor title contender. Yeah, I, I think that that's that's certainly it. I I liked overall the the handling of Damian Priest. I I, I didn't th- think the match was all that special, but cur- the positioning of Priest to me was more important, and that came off I thought strong based on the different segments uh, throughout throughout the night with, with Priest. Like he definitely felt like a big deal. After tonight, MVPs on commentary for, oh, we should say one thing the man has not had his, his hot tub. I don't know if it was called up or not. What? That we have not seen. Damien Priest's hot tub. Oh, the hot tub. Um, Well, we'll find out if they can get that in the Thunderdome. The Raw tag title match followed Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin against Grand Metalik and Lindsay Dorado, MVPs on commentary, and he immediately changes the subject when Lashley's attack on Riddle was brought up, and this is where, as Way mentioned, he just brought up Bad Bunny. I wonder if we're going to get more Bad Bunny. This guy's going to be a recurring well, character. Se- seems like it's a mutual co-promotion that's worked out for, for both men, or, or both uh, entities, I would say. Um, if he's really into it, I, I don't see why they wouldn't continue to do more. Perhaps I, I think a higher, a higher chance of success than Demi Burnett. I think so too. This guy seems pretty into it and, uh, you know, seems like a genuine fan. Um, I can see them maybe sticking around for something at mania even. Uh, so Metalik and Dorado, they're double teaming Benjamin and then there's a double handspring that tends to hurt business to the floor. They're beating down on Dorado in the corner when they come back. He flips up into a DDT on Benjamin and makes the tag to Grand Metalik, who I thought from this hot tag on, I thought Grand Metalik looked great. He flipped off the top rope into an arm drag, spirals into a Hurricane Rana off the rope. Then you had Dorado delivering a springboard to the floor. And Benjamin, I guess, was to catch him, but this was uh, quite the the task of trying to catch this man in midair. So Metalik then hit him with a tope suicida. Dorado hit a splash off the top onto Alexander, followed by a swanton from Metalik. Benjamin's in for the save, and Alexander catches Metalik with a flying knee, but before he can pin him, Benjamin tags in, hits the pay dirt, and steals the cover on Metalik in 11 minutes and 14 seconds. Uh... 
I wouldn't be crazy about this if I was booking the uh, the Dusty Rhodes tournament and these guys are in the semifinals on Wednesday. Uh, but I thought that Metalik in particular looked really great with that hot tag. These two are very underutilized, and I, I, I like this match quite a bit. I, I thought it was okay. I felt like a bit of awkwardness at the end kind of killed the momentum that they were building. But uh, overall, it was, it, I thought it was fine. To me, the Shelton-Cedric stuff is not doing a whole lot. For me, I think it's kind of predictable at this point, and I don't know if it's really a match I even care to see at the end between the two. We just know all friends hate each other deep down. That is everyone's MO in this company. Drew and Sheamus, uh, Nia and Shayna, Cedric and Shelton. I mean, in wrestling, that's usually how it turns out. Yeah, friends hate each other over time. Schreiber spoke to Oscar and Flair, uh, two people that are also not getting along. Flair threatens Lacey Evans and says she isn't playing mind games with me. And she feels bad that she let down Asuka. Asuka says, I can speak for myself. She isn't happy that they lost. I was ready. And if it wasn't for Charlotte's father and the woman, we would have won. The woman. (laughs) And that was it. Uh, Naomi and Lana did a promo ahead of their match. They are now best friends. Lana says, you can mock me and injure me, but you will never stop me. And Naomi says, now you can depend on me. We are best friends. Like, these two, they were talking about how, like, these two had a feud. Um, Okay, whatever. Sure. Water under the bridge. All friendships have to to start somewhere. Yes. So it's Asuka and Charlotte Flair against Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke and Lana and Naomi. The winners will get a shot at Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax at a date to be determined. Flair and Naomi were mirroring one another at the beginning while Baszler and Jax watched in the back. Lana and Brooke were in for like 30 seconds together. It was not looking great. There was a double flapjack and pose by Rose and Brooke onto Asuka. Asuka hit Mandy Rose with this combination. She hit a German suplex, Shining Wizard, and then a Missile Dropkick. And Lana just tagged Rose. And Rose just kind of rolled out to the floor. And you've got Dana yelling down, Are you okay, Mandy? And Mandy was just down there for several minutes. But she did return to the match. Uh, We saw a code breaker to Brooke. Followed by the natural selection by Charlotte. When Ric Flair's music played. And everything stood still. Charlotte couldn't pay attention. Oscar was so distracted by this. Charlotte literally had the prone body laying there from this codebreaker natural selection combo, but could not get on top of her for the pin. She just tags herself out. Oscar is the legal woman, but she's just so confused. What am I to do? There's a man and a woman on the stage and there's music playing. And she turns around and is hit with the rear view and Naomi pins her in 11 minutes and 8 seconds. It has taken skill to make Oscar look this foolish three weeks in a row. They have outdone themselves, which I did not think was possible after the last two weeks. I thought this ending was just atrociously bad. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Uh, number one, you know, for the reason you mentioned, but number two, at the end of this all, you're trying to set up number one contenders for your tag team championships. And I can't say this match did anything to get me at all excited for Naomi and Lana as a team. They are basically background characters in this larger story. This entire division is being sacrificed for this Charlotte and Lacey Evans feud that I think has been pretty awful. Um, so I was not a fan of this. Um, were we supposed to read the ending thing. like Charlotte didn't want to win? 
or that she was just so consumed no. with No. So, I mean, they were they were they did the interview beforehand and I think at this point it's like, you know, more so Charlotte just being completely frustrated that this is happening again. Um to the geez. point that you wouldn't just pin her to get this future title shot and then deal with this problem? Well, I I'm I've never wrestled, John. I can't tell you the mind of a wrestler what goes through and you see, you know, the person um flirting with your father and causing him to, you know, give brass knuckles to her so that she your own father basically is helping uh your you know you potentially getting a concussion i i don't know what goes through somebody's head if they suffer something like that well you know what i don't wrestle either but i'll tell you i've got i've got some noisy neighbors okay and there are sometimes we're doing this show way and it's a bit distracting but you know what i will never put this headset down and just walk off and leave you here because i'm a oh. professional well, you know what? You, I don't know if a, maybe you probably wouldn't make for a great wrestling angle then. But I'd be a great partner. I promise you, you and I would have been challenging for the women's tag titles if you had me. All right. This was not good. Charlie spoke to Drew McIntyre and said, it's been a whirlwind couple of days. He notes it would be an honor to face Edge at WrestleMania, but I just don't know about Sheamus. Families fight all the time. But this was different. I just don't know what to say. And then, in the most serious look into the camera, he said, Shamo, if it's the end of our friendship, you want to throw away 20 years with the person you once spent Christmas in a diner with because we had nobody else just for this title? So be it. You want this title match? You can have it. Shamo. Shame on you. Um, you know, if 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 your re- reading to me is sort of hinting that you thought maybe this was a bit melodramatic, I I, I, I did not that. know. Sometimes my tone does not reflect my opinion of it. I thought like Drew honestly sounded like fine, like a guy that was just perplexed at this friend turning on him. This was not like screaming and angry. This was like reflective and like hurt. Dude, my friend just, like, drilled me because he wants this title. This friendship means nothing to him. I, 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 I really a, didn't have an issue with this promo. I thought it was a good attempt by Drew at sounding serious and heartbreaking. And I think much of this, you know, comes down to perhaps how rushed it is and how much they have to really accelerate this feud given the very limited amount of time that they have. So if they had a, you know, full kind of rumble cycle, um, maybe some of these issues wouldn't be there. But I think they have to kind of work a, a little bit extra fast um compared to usual i was waiting though for him to refer to shamo and then killian dane walks in and he says no 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 i didn't say demo i said shamo elias and jackson Riker were just completely going through that edit that out uh versus carlito and jeff hardy and <laughs> dude the announcers were losing it over carlito's physique they were just aghast like for the second night in a row like look at him he never looked like this. He, This guy hasn't been in the company for 10 years, and here he comes back at 41. Look at this guy. He also, uh, no Apple, because I guess in uncharted times, uh, we can't do uh, a, a spitting the apple into someone's face. Yeah, that would probably be bad. Did he, he didn't even carry one. He didn't even carry one. I would think at least give him the apple. Doesn't mean he has to bite it. He had the apple last night, just not tonight. He even made reference to it like he was just holding nothing. 
Well, maybe it's not Apple season. Well, so, uh, I mean, the match was, it was just kind of, look, Carlito's here. And they recapped a feud that absolutely escapes my memory, that Carlito and Jeff Hardy, they put their differences aside. I take their word that they must have feuded in 2006, 2007. Sure. Yeah, I, I, could, I can buy that. <laughs> Elias jumps Hardy from behind. This was after Jackson Riker grabbed Jeff Hardy's towel from his pants. That's a big uh, no-no. It's, a, it's Jeff's own problem. Uh, I wrote here, Gunner missed a headbutt off the turnbuckle. Uh, they tag in Carlito. Uh, he lands on his feet from a suplex, backstabber to Elias, tags Jeff, who hits the swanton, pinning Elias in 554. I was pretty bored for most of this match, uh, but I was definitely interested to see a bit more of Carlito in sort of a, you know, more of a focus setting. He looked impressive here. I thought he got a good drop kick here. He got a nice kip up. Um, so overall, I thought it ended up being a pretty, pretty decent comeback showcase for him. And it definitely made it sound like they were, he was, that he was going to stick around. So, you know, um, I think. Do you shape. think he warrants something beyond just the, just a cameo role, like having a regular spot think, at, at I, this time and at this age? I think he'll probably end up with like a Shelton Benjamin role or like, you know, maybe what MVP was supposed to be in. Uh, MVP is kind of like far exceeded perhaps, you know, what they wanted him for like coming out of the Rumble last year. And I think he's earned it. I don't know about Carlito. I mean, certainly the potential is there. We'll see. It's not enough to just kind of be an average wrestler at this point or even somebody. And that's what I saw in this. Like, great physique. But, you know, on this roster, the last thing this main roster needs is another performer over 40 when we're just bursting at the seams with talent that you have. Like, I I do want to see the show get a bit younger. So if you're going to be adding someone at this age, they better be spectacular. And I, I mean... This was a six-minute match, granted, but, I mean, this was not spectacular. Yeah, you really, we really haven't kind of seen what, what he's able to offer, perhaps, on the microphone. To me, like, guys that are veterans that have a built-in name value from years of uh, appearing, I suppose, on their shows, um, their value at this point is to be able to kind of attach that star power, what little of it he still has, to, you know, new up-and-coming up guys the way you had with, like, you know, an MVP, for instance. Um, if he, if his promo is good enough, he'd be somebody that I think you'd be able to pair with a younger person. So we'll see. Then we had this elaborate video on edges retirement in 2011, the retirement speech, and then the huge comeback where the voiceover says time heals all wounds, which I don't know if the person that coined that phrase had uh, neck damage in, in mind when they said that. And then the whole feud with Orton and then stating for the last time they'll face off. This felt like a pay-per-view opening. Like they had gotten ahead and they were ready for this to be a pay-per-view open. And then suddenly we're doing it tonight. So we're just going to play this in the middle of the show. Like this was a pretty epic, dramatic mid-show promo that they aired. And then we go to the back where Edge uh, does one of his uh, monologues. He won the Rumble. He's torn because he still has this black cloud over his head and his family's because of Randy Orton. Orton had the same chance as him to go bell to bell last night, and you didn't do it. Your plan didn't work, and you're jealous of me because of the type of man I am compared to you. And I've got to put you in the rear view so that I can go to WrestleMania and win the title I never lost. And 
cited all the things he couldn't do with his children because of this injury over the past year. It all ends tonight. Good promo. Good promo. After that, uh, Edge ran into Damian Priest, and he said, good job. We need guys like you. And shook his hand. And I like this. Yeah. No, again, like uh, really kind of just simple. Big, um, you know, uh, continued, um, I would say, vote of confidence for Damian Priest and his success on the main roster. Um, it, it's, I think it's really looking good for him, at least judging by this one episode. What would you have rather? They shook their hands or if they both turned their, turned their backs to the camera, put up their arms and shot imaginary arrows at the wall? Um, yeah, I think this was better. Alexa Bliss versus Nikki Cross. Or getting in the hot tub together, maybe? <laughs> well, there's, there's lots you can do. I mean, Damian Priest is a fun guy. Uh, lots of people can hang out with him. So <laughs> Nikki Cross is asking, what happened to my best friend as Alexa Bliss is acting all crazy? You were my best friend. What happened to my best friend? This is not you. This is the first time that I thought, like, this is kind of playing off, like, you know, uh, your friend that's become like a like like a Q supporter or something. Like they've just lost their mind. It's <laughs> like who? Like that's what was going through my head here. It's like this woman is out of her mind. It's not the person that I've known for all these years. It's just like you've been totally brainwashed and you make no goddamn sense. Um. Yeah. That's so. Who would be the fiend in that scenario? The, the fiend would probably be Q. Okay. <laughs> Tom Phillips. This man, he deserves an award, okay? Because I think we just, like, are just accustomed to anything that comes out of of some of these announcers' uh, mouth. We just, we don't even, like, bat an eye at. He just calmly explains that all of the women in the Rumble, they started pouncing Alexa Bliss to prevent her from transforming. <laughs> like, can you just imagine, like, that was a Gordon, strategy. Gordon Soley, like, <laughs> Alexa Bliss, who has been prone to transform into her alternate reality, was stopped by the pounce. <laughs> this is just like, and he said this, like, so calmly as if he was reading uh, the ad for Victoria's uh, Cerveza. Alexa overhand slaps her. This is after Cross is destroying her. And then in... In honor of, like, the stupidest maneuvers in pro wrestling history, Alexa Bliss might have topped them all with the hop scotch kick. Yeah, uh, part of her new arsenal. I mean, she she does sort of a skipping thing. Um, she does sort of the Kevin Nash photo frame. It's it, She's defining certain moves for this iteration of her character to let you know that this is not the goddess and this is not the fiend. This is going to be a meme. That's what this is. The legacy of this move is going to be just uh, what the hell was going on on my screen. Cross stops the mandible claw, but then Alexa turns into the goddess and she's pretending to be back to normal. But Nikki, thankfully, would not fall for it. She's not Asuka. Then the funhouse music plays and she reverts back. And all of a sudden she grabs Nikki who doesn't put up any kind of a fight. And she hits her version of the sister Abigail ending it in a DDT and pins Nikki in 644. 
Um, it's kind of the same shit that we've had for a couple weeks now. I think this transforming gimmick is not working. Um, and I think these matches really suck. They're just, um, I just don't think Alexa is a good, like the type of performer that I, I think can pull something like this off. I don't see it sense any sort of difference in intensity in her wrestling. Uh, I think her acting is quite frankly, pretty qu- cringeworthy. Um, is it just yeah. me or do you, I, th- I honestly believe if you were going to go with this character, I think Nikki would actually play it a lot better as that psychotic yeah. character that she played. Not that I'm really arguing that like I'm with you. It's, it's become way overdone. I think it just kills the momentum of these shows. Like they're more than just confined to their segments. I think it's like actively bad stuff on this show that they clearly are in love with this, this whole story and these characters. I really think it's like one thing to like maybe do this several times a year in the body of like a really kind of well-produced cinematic match, like a, you know, a final deletion lake of incarnation type of thing that they've done so often, but to do it every single week in the body of a match on raw in in the arena, in the arena and, and not even doing it in such a very clever way either, um, is more of a turnoff than a turn on. It's kind of like bewitched. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, would you do you want to see Bewitched incorporated in in wrestling? No, nope, I don't. Uh, but say la vie. Randy Orton comes out as Bliss is leaving, and they just cross paths, but don't make eye contact. So to uh, add some levity to the situation, as these two walk by, Tom Phillips just quietly says, "Ashes to ashes." And that's it. No context, no continued sentence, just ashes to ashes. I thought Conan was going to start uh, singing. Dust huh. to dust. Um, yeah. No reference at all to Randy's burns. We've just, we're just told to forget about them. And miraculous healing. Oh, weeks, um, a week's a long time. Yeah. So we get Randy Orton and Edge. This was, uh, Edge's first match on Raw since March of 2011, and he goes for the anti-venom early, but Orton fights it. Edge hits the execution for a two-count, and then sets up for the spear, and is caught with a power slam, and then Edge, welcome back to Raw, shoulder first into the post. He is officially back on Raw, and Edge gets sent into the steps. We go through a commercial. Orton stops. Uh, Orton superplex is stopped. He is sent down and hit with a flying clothesline. Then Edge hits the Edge O Matic. Yeah. At this it's point in the match, it's 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 damn impressive that for this guy who had his first match in like 1992 um, and has been this character since 1998, that he has been able to go by the name Edge. For as long as he has. Like here is a father of two. A husband living in North Carolina. Edge. Edge. What do you mean? Like you, like it's just a name that's so synonymous. But it's 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 such an odd name. You know what I mean? I mean so is The Undertaker. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's different. But like Edge. It's like at least that. It's like it's describing something like The Undertaker. The Rock. Edge. Edge. I mean, he's, he's not the first Edge to in, in the public eye. Uh, no, no, not in the public eye. Uh, you're right. But Edge and his throat are catapulted into the bottom rope, and then he's hit with a draping DDT. 
and Randy goes to set up for the RKO when music starts playing and Alexa appears on the turnbuckle. And, you know, sometimes you remember the classics and sometimes you remember the garbage. And what do you draw upon years later? Well, the spirit of the Ultimate Warrior and Papa Shango was revisited here because this black liquid was coming out of Alexa's mouth and Edge uses this distraction to hit the spear, pins Randy, 16 minutes and 5 seconds, and they announce this feud is over, and now Edge can go to WrestleMania. The black goo has opened up Edge's freedom. He is forever unchained from Randy Orton, based off of this goo. So, congratulations, Edge. Uh, I thought the match was... It was... uh... Good, I would say, but like no comparison to their last one. Um, this was sort of more of a made for TV gimmicky match with like its ultimate goal of trying to attract ratings. And, um, they, they didn't the shortchange you though, they gave you 16 minutes of this. It's not like they waited till five minutes before the end of the hour and gave you like nothing. They they gave you like they advertised a match and they did deliver it with a wonky finish. Sure, yeah, I can see what the finish like this, why you wouldn't save it for a pay-per-view. Um, I still would have, just because I think uh, there's still a bit le- bit left, but, you know, they they kind of, they all have their stories that they need to tell. I mean, Orton and The Fiend and Alexa is sort of something they've spent so much time on. You can't really just divert them for a month or even three weeks, um, you know, to, to kind of extinguish that. It's a story that I... I think is has gone too far into the sci-fi realm of things. Uh, for TV, but you know, it's they're committed to it. Um, and we're going to continue to see crazy things like this probably up until at least Elimination Chamber, if not so further. Was this considered the Fiend's return through Alexa's body? And maybe not full return, maybe partial. Maybe he's you know, he's just leaking out a bit. Okay, with Orton and the Fiend, do you see them blowing this off? Um, at one of these upcoming shows, do you think this has the legs that they'll take this to Mania? Because this um, has been like the big program on Raw for the last month and a half. Yeah, it depends how how long they hold off the Fiend. I I, I certainly hope not, because that's that's quite a ways away. But at the same time, it's you know, can you think of better opponents at the moment for either of them? For Orton, uh, I'd love to see Orton with Christian, to be honest. Mm, yeah. I feel like that's a match I've seen a million times. Not not in ten years, but like, isn't that just a really like? That was a big really, feud in like two thousand eleven. It was a big feud. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to see that again. Um, even though the storyline, it would make sense. But, um, sure, whatever. Well, Raw. I will say that there oh, there was some news coming out of this show. It was a bigger Raw than usual coming off the Rumble. I think I think this this should do a a big number. Uh, by Raw standards today, we'll see what a post-Rumble Raw without football is going to do and how much this third hour does. I think like this is the biggest main event they have promoted. I think I think you would say Edge wrestling on TV is bigger than Drew and Randy's title change a few months ago. So this was about as big a free match as you can promote in 2021. Yeah, yeah. But without that promotion ahead of time, you know, it does make you wonder if that would affect things. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Let's, you want to go to the feedback? Yeah, let's go to it. I'm I'm excited to get to this pool. Uh, tonight's Raw gets a 4.45 out of 10. So, I mean, there was... I think the positives you, you take from this show... Uh, I mean, th- there was a, a mixture. I, I liked the handling of Damian Priest. I liked 
the fact that we do have uh, the, the Drew Sheamus stuff, I think was, you know, it was, it was fine. It was a little abrupt for me, but nonetheless, it's, it's a program to build to. And you did have a big match to promote all show long. Uh, but there was also a lot of bad stuff on this show as well. So I can, I can see that rating. Let's start with Paul from New Jersey, who says, after a very good rumble, my expectations for tonight's Raw were higher than usual. Somebody needs to train Charlotte to not get distracted by theme music or an adversary standing at the top of the ramp. WWE has really made Charlotte look stupid lately. McIntyre Sheamus is interesting and Carlito looks good. Happy to see Priest getting a considerable spotlight. What do you see Priest's first... um, Like, if you're you're assuming he's on the next pay-per-view, I mean, do you ride out this Miz Morrison thing? Uh, at least maybe for a few more weeks, maybe even up until uh, Elimination Chamber. But then after that, um, it could be like I said, maybe Lashley. Um, for for his for his style, like him and Morrison getting like twelve minutes, like that is an ideal opponent for Damian Priest to showcase, you know, his like aerial ability and to have a great opponent to do that style with. I don't think you'll get that on a pay per view. You'll probably get that on a Raw match. I mean, Morrison is just so low ranking at this point. A.B. Morales from Puerto Rico. Bad Bunny has gone from supermarket bagger to platinum recording artist and to WWE in six years. Good for him and great to see him put over fellow Puerto Rican Damian Priest. I know he does not fit in at all as a celebrity, but at least he's a massive fan and looked better tonight than at the Rumble. I've been watching Carlito wrestle recently in WWC where he actually had a shirt on to hide how jacked he was this past month. What a worker. Still hasn't changed work rate, work rate wise, though. We got Aaron who says, first, John, I would love it if you did a Rewind a Dale podcast. I love Riverdale, and I think you'd be the best person to break down its chaos. As for Raw, they had some good points on the show. I liked how they started the Drew Sheamus feud and the use of Priest with Bad Bunny. Also, I love this current version of Orton. The Fiend Alexis stuff might be hit or miss, but I love how Orton goes all out for it. While I didn't mind the start of the Drew Sheamus feud, do you think WWE needs a different way to establish title contenders between the Rumble and Mania? kayfabe wise it makes more sense for someone to attack the champ right after the rumble as opposed to winning the rumble itself could they do what could they do to avoid this type of clumsy booking i mean i'm i'm not too negative on this it's i think as long as you have a compelling program i think people are very like if it's a compelling program it's like yeah it's i I don't think people are going to be too up in arms over that uh, to me, it's just have like a good story in place. You know that you've got this in between pay per view, and I think in this case, like they did, like you could see going back months that they had this Sheamus program in mind. It wasn't like they were just starting it because we've got a pay per view in three or four weeks. Like they were starting that months out. Like we were talking about that. Maybe this is going to be something for uh, the December pay per view, and they passed through that. So they were looking for this to be a, a long build before the turn. It's just, we had to press pause for the month of January. So I think that interrupted the momentum for the feud. Noah from Vaughn out of the first 70 minutes of the program, there was like a total of six minutes of actual wrestling and both ending in screwy finishes. I feel like Lon and Naomi should be required to watch edges promo on repeat because my God, the contrast between those two are uh, promos are staggering in terms of emotion and believability. Damian Priest looked good tonight in his debut. Where do you guys see him by year's end? Oh, God, no. By year's end. I mean, that's might as well be eight years from now. Uh, closer to Aleister Black's level or to Drew McIntyre's level? I think by necessity, um, I, I think they're very high on Priest. I think he will have the opportunity to – I don't expect him to be 
at a top level like Drew McIntyre, but I think he will be in that that rung below. So, and again, I've said this many times, but like the with the age factor, like you really can't just shelve this guy as a long term project. I think like if you see that potential in him, you got to go with it now. And God knows they need opponents to be ready. So I could. It's very hard to say. Like main roster call ups are hit and miss, and we've seen him for two appearances so far. So let's let's see how the next months shake out for him. Well, I would say already on night one, I think he's already uh, much better than where Alistair Black is. I mean, at this point, Alistair Black is not even on any level. He's not even in the game. Right well, now, now he's so. not. At, at one time, he was pretty focused upon, and now he's just in no man's land with like Andrade and Murphy. Yeah. But Alistair Black has never really had any sort of like, you know, mainstream crossover promotion nor the potential, I would say, uh, that at least they didn't see that in him the way mm-hmm. I think they see it already in, in Damian Priest, pairing him with, you know, a Puerto Rican like megastar and almost like seemingly wanting to perhaps even brand Damian Priest as sort of like, you know, your next Hispanic star in the company as well. So I see already a lot more upside to Priest. So I would say definitely above Alistair Black, but it all depends like, you know, when Vince gets board of his toys we finally go to nick who says for a raw coming off of an extremely well-booked rumble tonight's story beats felt a little awkward sheamus feels like the perfect elimination chamber opponent for drew but the turn felt jarring especially since they spotlighted this relationship for weeks without sowing the seeds of conflict drew's promo fall following the betrayal did feel authentic kind of what i might say if my best friend had kicked me in the teeth Edge and Randy's match also felt rushed, and I'm glad this opens the door for the Rated R Superstar to hopefully close the book on his Raw rivalries and head over to SmackDown. The Tribal Chief awaits. I mean, that that very well could be the case. I mean, if if that's where it ends up, like Edge being on SmackDown, like that, like this should wrap up the loose ends on Raw. Like if you're building to that, he doesn't need to be on Mondays. No. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for the feedback. And now it's time for the post-wrestling 2021 Royal Rumble pool results brought to you by the bad bunny of the post-wrestling community, Chris Angler, who has once again tallied all of the results after a staggering 414 people entered this year's pool. So thank you to everybody who submitted the picks and way the floor is yours to go through the results. Okay, we start off with, uh, so we had 10 categories this time. As you um, know, WWE really kind of tried to screw with our pool this year by, first of all, announcing that they were going to announce the number two women's Rumble entrant, and then switching that up on us last minute and making it the men's Rumble entrant number two that was spoiled. But in either case, whichever one that they ended up spoiling, we did not award any points to anybody for choosing uh, any of them. So anybody who had chose... Was it Edge or Orton? Like, wasn't it supposed to be Edge and then they switched it and made it Orton? It ended it up being. What was it? Did they originally announce was Orton. Orton was number one and then now it's Edge was number one? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So we took that question out. So we had nine eligible questions. The first one Who was the men's Rumble winner? 7% of you, 29 only, accurately guessed that it would be Edge. Bianca Belair won the women's Rumble. 53% of you, a majority, 219 people voted, uh, per- predicted accurately that Bianca Belair would win. Wow. Uh, again, no points awarded for men's rumble entrant number two. Women's rumble entrant number two was Naomi, and only eight people, or 2%, accurately guessed that. I'm surprised yes. eight people picked Naomi. 
Yeah, me too. Uh, men's Rumble entrant number 29, we asked you to predict. 31% of you accurately guessed that that would be Seth Rollins, so that would be 7%. Women's Rumble entrant number 29, 79, 79 of you, or 19%, accurately guessed that it would be Nia Jax. The person who was in the Rumble, the men's Rumble for the longest time, this was a question of contention, at least from Chris, because he wanted to know whether or not we would include Randy Orton as part of that because he and Edge started and ended the Rumble, technically, even though Orton was out of this match for, you know, out of the ring for much of it. Uh, we determined, yes, you have to include Randy Orton as well. So if you chose either Edge or Randy Orton, who both stayed in the match for 58 minutes, 30 seconds, you would have gotten points for this one. 123 per, uh, of you, or 30%, accurately guessed one or the other. The men's rumble with the shortest time, um, Hurricane, at 30 seconds, nobody guessed that with him being a surprise entrant. I would have been shocked if someone picked that. That would have been quite impressive. The first person to be eliminated from the men's rumble was Jeff Hardy, and five of you accurately (laughs) guessed that, or 1%. And finally, the men's rumble person to be last eliminated was Randy Orton, and 48 of you guessed that, or 12%. So... Uh, if you guessed, um, uh, also we, I asked for your surprise entrance who were, uh, according to us, we're not including NXT stars. So to us, the surprise entrance were Carlito, Christian and Hurricane, as well as Alicia Fox, Jillian Hall, Tori Wilson and Victoria. So congratulations to out of a maximum of 129 points, assuming you guessed everything right. Uh, we have at 52 points. Sorry, let me start from the bottom here, okay? Tied for, well, you know what? Number three, with 49 points, Thorsten Wendelmuth. I can't believe it. The man of mystery shows up at the most uh, interesting times of the year, and here he comes in third, gets a bronze medal. Now, we should mention that Egg Craig did also get 49 points, but Thorsten gets closer to the actual men's rumble time. So I believe we are awarding him third place. So congratulations, Thorsten. Not only did he make a surprise appearance in the uh, chat room last night, he had, ends up like you know winning a, a meddling here for this. So congratulations to him. Second place with 51 points, Brent Mason. So congratulations to you, Brent. But the winner... Just skirting by 52 points, Wes Kinley. Very impressive. Damn, this was razor razor close. Beats him by one point to be crowned the post-wrestling Royal Rumble pool winner, Wes Kinley. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so congratulations, Wes. Uh, Congratulations to all all the finalists here. I will contact you individually about a prize. Uh, But now for the main event, John... First of all, let's give some shout-outs here to the Zero Club, people who actually managed to earn zero points in this pool. We've got Benton Foss. We've got Dez Delgadillo. uh, Sorry, Dez. Dave Stewart. Michael Grohl. You know, maybe he should stick to pitching. Jamie Bradburn, Joe Bakanovich, Mitchell, Randy, Randy McNally, Samantha. You guys did terrible, so congratulations. Zero points. Yeah. Hey. If you're going to miss, miss by a lot. And now, John, would you, John, would you like to join me for some of these uh, misspellings and autocorrects, which I think deserve awards on all their own? This was the absolute, uh, this is always the highlight, is the misspellings, whether intentionally or not, I tend to believe that many of them are not intentional. 
First, we had R.T. Ruth. R.T. Space Ruth, which is quite the um, interpretation of our truth. Yes. We have Baba Ray, my favorite. Yeah. Teabag. That one might have been intentional. I that was probably intentional. Shayna Blazer. I think that's a second appearance for Shayna Blazer. Shayna Blazer, yes. Trish Status. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she gets that a lot. Candace Larat. <laughs> Trash Stratus. A very Ooh. difficult name. Trash Stratus? That sounds like a like a heel version of Trish, like a like a fiend version of yeah, Trish. Yeah, if, if she joined the fiend, you're right. Uh, you know, this person might have been rumored <laughs> to appear, but uh, unfortunately did not make it. Round Rousey. Round one Rousey, yes. Round Rousey. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> this woman's name just got butchered from our uh, – uh, in several iterations. Casey Catatenza, Catatanzo. Casatanzo. <laughs> Casey Casatanzo. Yeah, that might have been a um, rejected Seinfeld character. Michelle Mitch Cool. <laughs> Casey Catton Zero. <laughs> Randy Orion. And the best one. <laughs> Baron Carbon. <laughs> Baron, Baron Carbon. Carbon. Is that isn't that like a gas? Oh man, we're all out of Baron Carbon. Carbon. Well, thank you, everybody. You always, you always are good for a laugh, if nothing else. Congratulations to our, our, our victorious winner, Wes, and all of those who participated in the annual Royal Rumble pool. Uh, we thank you very much. And with that... Yeah, always a lot of fun. That will bring a close to Rewind to Raw. So thank you to everybody in the Zoom room that uh, tuned in live. We're here after every Raw and Dynamite for our double-double ice cap and espresso patrons. And then Friday nights, all patrons have live access to Rewind a SmackDown. So you can get the whole schedule at postwrestling.com. And yes, go catch up on Rewind Division. It is... Uh, I'm I'm surprised that, you know, we... I might have to be the Nick Khan here, and we might have to license out some of our our top content. I mean, maybe, maybe Peacock's going to come knocking or Disney plus to get this podcast. Oh, 200 million so. wow. a year. That's our, that's our asking price to get rewind division. Well, um, I'm, I'm ready to sell out. Sure. So that, that is the big, the big pay-per-view of the week. It is Thursday night earnings call, Nick Khan, Christina Salen, Vince McMahon, things of that nature. Should be exciting. I can't wait. I can't wait for the breakdown with you and Brandon. I always look forward to those. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll speak with you Tuesday on Rewind Away as we go through the 2015 G1 Finals. Good night.